marketing will enhance how the company, the board, and the executive team is seen and perceived. Marketing works with branding, purpose, vision, mission. And when the board embraces this, they all look better. The company performs better. People like working for the company more and customers and clients like working with the company. So marketing does enhance lots of things pertaining to companies. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Paula Zarensky. I've known and worked with Paula over the years on several really interesting projects. She's recently gone out on her own. And we're going to talk about that experience and lots of other things. So, Paula, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's a delight to be here. Paula, could you start with your professional background? Sure. I've always done marketing. It was a deliberate choice that I made when I went to college. I went to Cornell thinking at that time maybe to be a lawyer, changed, did not go to law school, went for my MBA when I got out of business school, when most of my friends all took very lucrative jobs in finance. I became a marketer and moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. I started working on Drano. You could still ask me anything you want to know about any kind of clog, and I can probably still tell you. I worked in packaged goods marketing for the beginning part of my career, moved back to New York, worked on household products, and then decided I wanted to work on products that were stored over the sink in the bathroom, not under the sink, moved into cosmetics. From there, luxury goods and my Daimler experience, where I shifted over more toward corporate marketing and corporate communications. And then I entered the law firm universe in legal marketing, first in communications and then picking up all the different aspects of marketing and then risk advisory work in the consulting universe. Those are the sectors. But as a marketer, you also have to keep up with the platforms and the tools of the trade. And I've always stayed current and learned new things and That's what I've done. It's been my profession forever. Beyond the marketing that how I initially met you, you actually write uh, a fair amount and you've had a couple of really interesting articles recently. And one of the ones that intrigued me in doing a little research in preparation for this podcast was about a guy named Harold Dobbs. And it was a really interesting story. And if I can preview it a little bit for the audience before I ask you the question, you said he was the best boss you ever had. So could you tell us who Harold Dobbs was, how he impacted your career and really the way you think about your profession? And why was he the best boss you ever had? Okay. So when I was eight years old, my mother went back to work and I was mesmerized with where my mother went back to work. She went to a company called Buy Right Liquor. And it was headed by Harold Dobbs. Harold was her boss. Harold was quite eccentric. He was a promotional person. People referred to him as advertising, but really he was more into promotions. He used to say, give somebody a keychain and they'll be your friend forever. And he started this cooperative advertising for liquor stores business known as Byright. And it 
still exists in many states today. He's long since sold it. But I used to go into the office and I used to watch what was done there. The pasting of the little bottles for the ads, putting together the flyers for the different stores so that they knew what was being promoted each week, listening to him on the phone as he made deals with different liquor distributors and bringing new stores into the fold. And he gave me a job to do when I would go in with my mother. He thought that it was very cool, that I liked what they did, that I found it really interesting. And I had a job to do when I went in there. I copied the flyers. I ran them through a machine to fold the flyers. I put them through another machine to put them in envelopes and then put postage on them. And at the end of the day, Harold would call me into his office and he'd say, thank you so much, Paula. We could not have existed today without the help you gave us. Here's your check in appreciation. Here's your paycheck. And it was minimum wage, maybe like $10, $11 or something like that for the whole day. But he instilled in me the curiosity, the enthusiasm for marketing, the pride in what you do, and also how you treat the people around you to really always show appreciation for everybody that's part of the task. Harold was a very good family friend for many, many years, long since passed away. But whenever I look at that liquor picker statue that I took from my mom, I think about those days and and I smile because it's how I ended up in my profession today. You know, that's such a great story. And so many of the things that people write, lecture, academically study about leadership today were really encapsulated in uh, what Harold, how he treated you, how he treated his employees, how he treated your mom, how he looked at marketing and promotion, and how he ran his business. So uh, it was uh, really a great story. And thanks so much for sharing that with us. Thanks, Tom. There's a couple of other articles you wrote that I wanted to maybe take a little bit deeper dive into with you. And the first one that struck me was the unintended consequences of how we responded to the pandemic. Obviously, now we're recording this in the spring of 2022. We're hopefully on the downhill slide, although there may be a new variant or two. Uh, We all had to move from working in the office to working from home to allegedly going back to the office to then perhaps a hybrid model. But you really didn't look at those, what I would call the clear and concise changes we made. You looked at the unintended consequences from some of the strategies we had to use. So kind of with that introduction, why did you write this article, Paula? You know, last year in March of 2021, I wrote an article on our first year anniversary with COVID. And it was a look back and it was more of a, not a downer kind of article, but, you know, we were in a bad place at that point in time. And I knew that I was going to do another article and I knew that I wanted to do something a little bit different. And then one day I heard something. I took a class last fall. I was about a thousand people, uh, Zoom calls each week from all over the world. Personally, I found the chat and the comment, it's very, very distracting. How do you watch a class and listen and at the same time write constant comments? And thousand people, there must have been thousands of comments that always came through. But the professor from Chicago Booth, who was teaching the class, commented that she loved the immediacy of the comments and that she had just gone back to the live classroom setting last fall and she missed not hearing from so many students. She only got the hand raisers in the front row. And that she hoped that somehow 
we would try to figure out how to get this good unintended consequence into schools and auditoriums. And I thought about that. I'm like, hmm, and conference rooms and boardrooms, and maybe there's something here. So I started thinking about all of the good things that have come out. We worked around, we figured out how to do things. And what were all of the other good things that I wanted to write about? And that's why this article was so different than my first year anniversary. I hope that everybody found it more uplifting and positive, seeing the glass half full and and not the glass half empty. So could we go into what you saw as some of the unintended consequences, or at least perhaps the highlights that you uh, wanted we, the readers, to understand? So I don't know if you remember early on, Tom, like everybody was baking bread. And why were they baking bread? They needed something to do. And when you bake bread, you need the bread. And I thought about that. Well, they really needed to knead the bread. And they needed that kneading of the bread. And that translated into companies that realized that while people needed this as a form of self-expression and for psychological benefits, so do they need to look at their employees for wellness initiatives. And really looking at what's going on with each employee and speaking directly to them and implementing programs, not just giving them a website to work with, but one-on-one, encouraging people to call everybody in their team, to stay in touch, to reach out to people who otherwise won't reach out to you. And I think if companies have sensitized themselves to the need to really look after their employees, that's a really, really good unintended consequence. And one that I hope that they definitely keep up over time. Another one has to do with our geographically dispersed workforce. So at the beginning of the pandemic, people embraced working not just from home, but anywhere as home. And we, working with everybody, realized it didn't matter where you were. You didn't know where people were most of the time when you were on a Zoom call with them. Suddenly you'd ask and find out someone was in Mexico City and you'd wonder, What are they doing there? And they're still doing their job. Well, companies who had people all over the country also realized that they had more access to a geographically dispersed talent base. Suddenly, they could find somebody to do what they need, not just in the area where their office was located, but anywhere around the country or even around the world. And employees now suddenly had access to companies that weren't in their usual commute, but may have been on the other side of the country that they wanted to work with. And that's something that has really opens up the talent playing field and the job market. And I think that it's a win for everybody. But with it, there are some challenges. And part of the challenges to make this happen is the training that's needed for managers to understand how to work with members of their teams that they're never really going to see. You always had a few people. Now the proportions of people are, are higher that new technologies are needed to incorporate talent in the firm and how you deal with them. Culture needs to be sustained in new and innovative ways. But I think that companies are embracing this and they're going to make it work and we'll have to see what happens. So those are two of the uh, work-related unintended consequences. Probably one of the most significant for people is the growth of telehealth virtual doctor visits. You don't have to be sick and go into a waiting room with other sick people. You could have an appointment with your doctor, FaceTime on your phone, figure out what's wrong with you, get a prescription, 
And if need be, then make an appointment to go in. And thank goodness, it seems as though healthcare providers are also embracing this as a lower cost option to get people to see doctors. And it's kind of like the time when we were growing up and doctors actually got in their car and came to your house and now they're doing it on your iPhone. So those are a few of the wonderful things that have come out of this. Did you receive any feedback from readers or people who commented one way or the other? I did. Most people started thinking of things that they thought were unintended consequences that I may have left out of my article. For instance, a lot of people commented how we started looking differently at essential services workers, not just the healthcare and people like at the beginning. Do you remember when we all did the 7 p.m. clap at the first year of the pandemic in support of the essential services workers that were helping us through the beginning part of the pandemic? But there are all these other people that delivered our food, our pharmaceuticals, our pet food, our packages. And we now started realizing that they were incredibly important and a newfound respect for all the people that kept working and kept us living comfortably. So I heard from a lot of people that said, you know, applause to you on that one, because, you know, I just tipped my food delivery person twice as much because I realized that they really went through a hard time and they kept us all sound. So that was a good thing. I'd like to turn to a different article you wrote because I was really intrigued by this and frankly had not seen anyone talk about the following topic, which was marketing and the board. You've presented to boards, you have worked with boards, but my sense is that boards are not as engaged with marketing as perhaps they could be or or should be. So I really wanted to start with that question, which is, How does marketing impact the board of directors of a public or private company? Yeah, it's a really great question, and it's a really important one. There are three things I'd like to talk about on on how marketing impacts the board. First, marketing will enhance how the company, the board, and the executive team is seen and perceived. Marketing works with branding, purpose, vision, mission, and When the board embraces this, they all look better, the company performs better, people like working for the company more, and customers and clients like working with the company. So marketing does enhance lots of things pertaining to companies. Marketing is also externally focused. Too often boards are very internally focused, legal, accounting, regulatory requirements. Those are all things you can figure out from inside the company. But marketing is really looking at your customers and your clients and how you compete and how you really grow. And I think that that's really an important factor that the board needs to take into consideration. And then there's one last point, and it has to do with diversity. Right now, boards don't have many marketing subject matter experts on them. There was a study done in 2019, I think it was, that looked at Fortune 1000 firms and maybe less than 1% had marketing board members. Boards also don't have as many women as we would like to see on boards. And there is a higher percentage of marketing CMOs that are female than male. So do the math. If you look at adding marketing to your board, chances are you're also going to be adding a woman to the board. And the diversity of thought and diversity of composition of the board is a very positive thing. I really like that last point because I don't think people really understand by having that diversity, by having that different voice, 
it makes your organization much more robust in a wide variety of ways that you and I probably couldn't even speculate on it at this point. Now let me flip it back, Paula, and ask you, what do you see as the board's role in marketing? So the board needs to ask the right questions, and that means perhaps including marketing on their agendas, looking at the investments that they've made, getting proper reports back. The marketing people need to speak the board language when they do that. Understanding the backgrounds are different, but the board needs to really focus on what they've invested in, how it's working out, when it should be cut, and when it should be increased. It's a really important area for them to get involved. And if they also are thinking of adding subject matter expertise to the board, the board also needs to look at the internal resources at the company to make sure that they're equally matched. Paula, I am often asked in the compliance world, when should a company, a new company, a relatively small company who's experiencing growth, bring in compliance professionals, put in internal controls? And I want to take that same format and ask you about that from the marketing perspective. So how should a board think through both dollars and then headcount resources allocated to marketing? Is there a specific time? Should it be as early as possible? What have you really seen work the best? A lot of this depends on the life cycle of your company. So certainly if you're entering a very competitive marketplace and you're new, you need to keep pace with your competition. And that means really having the right technologies and platforms that you need. Just as in compliance, you need to stay in touch with what you need now to make sure that you don't have any issues later on. With marketing, you want to make sure that you start building it so that your teams understand it, work with it, and make sure that it's all used throughout the the company. So obviously, I would rather see marketing investments as early as possible. They will enable you to really grow your business in a substantive way. What do you advise a board around the following question, Paula? Should a board have a true subject matter expert as a board member, or can a board have a subject matter expert in marketing as a key resource? You probably need both because on a day-to-day basis, your marketing team is going to be doing what you need to do, and the board doesn't want to know about any of that. They just want to make sure it, it happens, it's delivering, it's growing, it's making money. But A subject matter expert on the board that is familiar with things like digital transformation that could speak the language of the board would really work in tandem with the CMO. And so there's three factors going on, the subject matter expert, the CMO, and then the team behind that's doing the work. CEOs of Fortune 500 companies have always focused on strong CMOs to help deliver their branding, uh, their purpose their mission, their focus. And that's something that needs to be done as well. So for a smaller company, is a fractional chief marketing officer or CMO potential or solution that you would advise? Yeah, definitely. I think that smaller companies, and I work with a lot of smaller and mid-sized companies now, have a hard time making the investments for those with lots of experience. And fractional CMOs or advisory services are really useful for them. I'll give you an example. You often see companies that don't have strong 
internal marketing think that social media is something that a young kid, an intern can handle, which is so wrong because you need people that understand your business and understand the marketplace and understand communications. And just because your mother is on Facebook doesn't mean that your mother should be doing your Facebook posts and your Twitter posts. No, no, it doesn't work that way. And I see this all the time with companies. And when they suddenly have somebody to guide the team, it makes a lot of sense. The fractional CMO program is one way of going about it where you get matched and somebody comes in part-time, whatever. An advisor, a marketing consultant or an advisor that stays there with you for a certain number of hours or days per month to help guide you through the process and knows your company well is another option that, that is really important for smaller companies. And it's easier for them to absorb the costs, I think, when you do it that way. Well, I'd like to maybe take it in a little bit different direction and maybe even tie it back to your days with Harold Dobbs because it's the mix of different marketing tools, assets, or other uses that are available now. So you mentioned social marketing. With Harold, you talked about things that we now call swag, in-person conferences, webinars, or breakfast roundtables. How do you help advise a company really on that mix of marketing opportunities that are available to them? Sure. You know, when I go into a company, I always start with an audit of what they're about. What's their brand? What's their elevator pitch? What do they have now? What are they doing? What's their competition doing? What's their objective? Who's their audience? Who's their client? You know, a full audit and then provide a roadmap with the right mix. So often we see people investing in pricey swag that is pointless. You don't need to do that. Or they sponsor a conference and don't try to speak at a conference. Or they write an article and put it on their website, but don't push it out so that people will actually read it. And we need to always look at what the objectives are, who the client or the customer is, what's going to reach them best. How do we target? How do we get it out there? How do we use digital channels now to make it work? What's the budget? How do we balance it? Things that people think they need to do often are not the best things to do, and we need to get them focused in other areas quickly. Well, I'd like to now ask you to turn your view to that veiled land of the future, because it has struck me both working with you over the past few years and, and really listening to you in this podcast that even with the wider variety of marketing tools that may be available that people or companies think they can utilize on their own, a true marketing professional, a CMO, is even more important now because the comms and marketing departments of companies are more important now. And would you find that to be a valid statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the last couple of years, we've been focusing a lot on ESG. And we've been focusing on purpose. And I think that companies that speak about it but don't act upon it will have issues. And I think that the marketing and comms people will make sure that people and companies talk the talk and walk the walk, so to speak, to really make things happen. I think there's a level of professionalism and training and attention to detail that the marketing and comms people have. And again, it's all about the business. It's all about the customer. It's all about the client. And marketing is looking to the future. You know, it's like people say, what's the difference between marketing and sales? Sales is about today and what you're getting in. 
Marketing is about building for the future, the growth of your company, the future of your company. The last thing you want as an entrepreneur that comes up with a new service and suddenly you're reading the paper and you see a competitor claiming the service that you created. Marketing and communications help protect those assets and help you grow most effectively and most efficiently. Paul, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but it's been a fascinating episode. But if our listeners wanted more information on any of the topics you've raised, yourself, your business, what would be the best way for them to find out? You could certainly go to StructuraStrategyGroup.com or email me directly at Paula at StructuraStrategyGroup.com. And that's how you can reach me best. Paula, I wanted to uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. It's been a fascinating discussion, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.